The following program contains material that may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to Queen Today, we're uh, just trying to be comfortable. I just want to be comfortable after today. It's raining. It's gross. I had cavities filled today. I might make hot cocoa with Lucky Charm marshmallows later. In the middle of this, maybe. We'll see how it goes. We're going to talk about Haunted Hollywood. Um, This is a topic I uh, was so ready for. I researched it two years ago. (laughs) You were extra prepared. I'm so prepared for this episode. Uh, Kelly and I were supposed to do this episode, and then either either the audio got corrupted or, like, it got deleted. Something happened to where it never got anywhere. This was definitely a topic that Hunter was supposed to have picked, but I, like, completely hijacked and was like, hey, actually, I have all this research I never got to talk about that's really interesting, so can we do this topic? I'm so glad you did, though, because my story is I did not know about it, and it's recent. (gasps) Mine's Um, all, like, old Hollywood. Mine is actually very recent. Um, Ooh, okay. So... I am actually glad that we changed the topic because I would not have found out about this very interesting story. So much in Hollywood, I feel like, has been happening in the past two years. Oh my god, Johnny Depp. Wait, All what? that stuff. Oh my god, yeah, just his personal life. A fucking mess. Holy shit. Oh my god. Yeah, Amber Heard needs to... That whole thing is so crazy. I still can't believe it. It was my mom who told me about all that. Because, of course, my mother would be the one who knows everything about what's happening in, like, some random celebrity's life for some reason. My mom's not even the kind of person who, like, hyper-follows celebrities. But somehow she just is like, did you hear one of Amber's friends pooped in Johnny Depp's bed? Oh, my God. (laughs) And I'm like, Mom, why why do you know this? Where did you hear this? And what the fuck are you talking about? I, so, Elon Musk is one of my favorite people to hate. And he, (laughs) I strongly dislike him. And he is going to testify in one of the, like, lawsuits between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Because he was there? He and Amber Heard dated. Get the fuck I'm, out of I here. Know, and I just love watching Elon Musk make a complete ass out of himself because he just So he's gonna defend, so good at it. He's gonna defend Amber? I don't I don't know. I think I think the idea is he is going to talk about just, their relationship and her behavior. I don't I think it's supposed to be like she was crazy. She was abusive. I think I don't know. It's all very complicated, and I haven't paid super huge attention to it, because ultimately I don't, I mean, kind of like, I want there to be justice, but also, like, both of them are, like, gajillionaires, and... Everyone's a a gajillionaire, so really, like, these suits are mostly for peace of mind, because it's obviously not for the money. Yeah, but also, like, I do think that there is a real 
the societal thing where it's like only women get abused. Yeah, and no, men absolutely get abused. Men do, and I think I think if Johnny Depp was a victim of abuse, I think it's important that that be acknowledged and so I he's agree. not labeled as, you know, a quote unquote wife beater for the rest of his life. If he isn't one. Yeah. Yeah. And all the shit with a uh, what's that movie? Rust with Alec Baldwin. Oh my god. <sighs> it's just the crow again. Yeah. You're not even supposed to, you're not even legally supposed to be allowed to have an actual gun on set. It's supposed to be a prop. I read that sometimes they like to have, like, real guns, but they won't have, like, like you know, the magazine. Or, like, they'll have, like, some parts missing or something, so it isn't operable at all. I read one article, and I don't know if this is true or not, so, like, don't, don't quote me, but, <laughs> but, um... One article said that, like, before shooting the scene, um, some, like, set crew members were, like, using the, like, prop guns and, like, shooting them, like, to, like, you know, kill time before shooting the scene. And the prop master, I think, was, like, she had never actually been a prop master before. Oh my god. Or the, um, the, um... Or she just wasn't familiar enough with guns? Yeah, something like that, like... The gun is supposed to have gone through so many people before it ever reaches the actor's hands to approve yeah. that it's safe. Like, it, there's supposed to be so many regulations for how to deal with guns on set. Yeah. Because, and it's because of Brandon Lee on The Crow. Yeah. Yeah. And just fucking common sense, too. Like, but, yeah, no, there's so much, like crazy shit going on right now and it's also public and sensationalized but it doesn't make it any less important so tell me about your case yeah. your story <laughs> so we're gonna talk about we're gonna chat let's time travel back with me to old hollywood there's so many different random places you can get this story about this woman peg and twistle that's who I'm going to be talking about. Peg Entwistle. Peg Entwistle. Why do I know Entwistle? That sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay, continue. So, um, <laughs> this is a sad tale, but it's a ghostly haunting that people still see <laughs> to this day. Um, and this is about the story of how the famous Hollywood sign became haunted. Because the Hollywood sign is haunted. I have heard that. I don't know why, though. Well, you're about to fucking find out. So, um, basically, this is, like, big thanks to Wikipedia and various articles, like, Country Living and, like, anyone who wants to talk about anything Hollywood-related in order to sell a magazine or, like, an article or a website. Like, you're going to find stuff about her. Uh, she was Welsh, actually. I don't know why she chose the name Peg. Her name was Lillian Millicent Entwistle. I think Lillian's kind of pretty, but she went with Peg uh, in Wales, and she was born in 1908. Uh, her family eventually moved all over the place, ended up in Los Angeles, um, specifically Beechwood oh. Drive, which, the irony, it's located just beneath the literal Hollywood sign. <laughs> yeah, it was just big, big old clinky dink. Um, so she wanted to be an actress. But um, she wanted to do theater because the pictures weren't, well, they were getting there. But I think the way you do it is, like, 
You go to, th- I think a lot of people are being discovered through the theater for film. Like, it was film. easier to get into film because if you had theater background. Mo- yeah, because movies were such a brand new thing. Because she yeah. was born in 1908, so even when she's, like, 16, it's, like... It's still... It's, like, the mid-1920s. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, it's early... Early days. Early Hollywood. So anyways, she went to New York uh, to attend theater school and then went to Boston to perform for a theater company. Damn, she's all over the place. Oh yeah, no, she was, she was working traveler. hard. She was working hard. So she even portrayed Hedvig in um, Henrik Ibsen's The Wild Duck to the point to where a young Betty Davis was in the audience, saw her performance and said that her performance inspired her. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so she actually went on to portray that same role three years later. Aw. And said that Peg's performance inspired her own, which is huge, because Betty Davis is a huge person in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so in 1927, Peg saw some success on Broadway in um, the show Tommy and just random other plays. I've never fucking seen Tommy. Don't know why I even mentioned the title. Um, <laughs> and she married this other actor named Robert Keith. Soon after, she found out Robert uh, had already been married and divorced once before and had a child, all of which he just didn't tell her. He just forgot <laughs> to mention. here's my child, have fun. Here's my ex-wife and child and just past life, like, sorry. I forgot <laughs> to tell you before Slips we got my married. Mind. Yeah. So, and this was just the beginning of their marital problems, which unfortunately is when Peg started kind of spiraling spiraling in her own life. Uh, she consistently had to bail her husband out of both financial trouble and jail, uh, mostly for failing to pay alimony from his previous marriage. Sounds like a real stand-up kind of guy. And for drunk driving. Oh! <laughs> so, in the divorce papers... Uh, cause she divorced his ass. Uh, Peg claimed that Robert had physically abused her as well and left her, uh, mentally ill. Like, so on top of that, uh, Robert's behavior and all the drama and bad press, it caught, was, caused a major reason for the New York Theater Guild to not want Peg because they thought she was bad for press. Oh, yeah. So even though she was really talented, her personal life cost her her career from... For perspective with the New York Theater Guild. Oh, I hate that. It's fucking stupid. Like, she's punished because her husband's a shithead. Yeah. Like, oh my god. So, Peg earned roles in several successful productions across the country anyways, though. Just not yes. in the guild. Um, and, you know, she still received rave reviews and still went to Broadway. And she caught the eye of RKO Pictures and was cast in the thriller movie 13 Women. Um, sadly, much of the movie was edited out by censors, meaning most of her parts were cut from the film. At the time, people were still trying to regulate what could and could not be okay in movies, and just, it was a lot of gray areas. Um, RKO did not renew her contract. So, she was hurt, and when she heard that her ex-husband had remarried and was enjoying a bit of resurgence in his own acting career, he started doing really well all of a sudden. So she was just feeling really fucking shitty, and I would too. So by then, the actress was depressed and had to move in with her aunt and uncle because she couldn't sustain herself anymore. Being a single woman trying to be an actress, that's a fucking hard thing to do. 
So on September 16th, 1932, she told her family she was going to go on a walk, never came home. Mm. Two days after Peg went missing, an anonymous woman found uh, a woman's jacket, reported finding a woman's jacket and purse in Beechwood Canyon and seeing a body down below. The caller left the items at the police department and a suicide note found in Peg's purse read, I am afraid. I am a coward. I am sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, it would have saved a lot of pain. P.E. Her initials. Oh. It appeared that uh, she climbed the workman's ladder to the top of the H of the Hollywood sign on Mount Lee and jumped. She was 24 years old. 24? She was 20. Oh, she had so much life left to live. Ugh. Yeah. The media ran with the story of an aspiring actress who had failed, but it oh, wasn't that, them. yeah, it wasn't that fuck simple. That. It was Ugh. not that fucking simple. That reminds me, oh, small ooh, sidebar. Ooh, this reminds ooh. me of when my freshman year of fucking college. So I, back in the day, I would always come to bat for Megan fucking Fox. I fucking loved her. I thought Jennifer's body was so underrated. Like, I just... Mm. Some dude at film school was like, yeah, Megan Fox was like a waitress before Michael Bay found her and made her a star. And I was like, first of all, she was in Mary-Kate and Ashley, um, (laughs) Holiday in the fucking Sun, mind you. And she also was in the Lindsay Lohan movie, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. she She was the mean girl. That was the first time I really, she played the mean girl in both those movies, and I remember being like, this girl is gorgeous, oh my god, and like, yeah, she got in Transformers, but like, at what fucking cost, washing Michael Bay's fucking car, so like, you know what, how about you shut the fuck up, and like, admit to yourself Michael Bay is garbage, all he knows how to do is take a script, take a big ol' stamp that says explosion, and stamp it everywhere. Yeah. That's all he fucking knows how to fucking do. Yeah. He put her under a water fountain as, like, a featured extra when she was 15 in a bikini. Fucked up. Sorry. Anyways. <laughs> I just I just remember at the time I was so mad at the way people were trying to portray her and paint her as, like, oh, she's just this gorgeous nobody that Michael Bay turned into this hotshot superstar. She owes him her life. And I'm like, she doesn't owe him shit. No. How fucking dare you? How fucking dare you? Okay, Okay, sorry. Have you seen her in Machine Gun Kelly, though? Yeah, they're so cute. (laughs) I think they're cute. I think individually they're cute. I think together they're really weird. I love it. No, I love it. I, I guess. <laughs> I don't care. I like them. I love it. I just, I think they're both just being weird, being their thing, and I don't know. I think. Yeah. I mean, she yeah. was, she, I know way too much about Megan. <laughs> she was with the same guy since she was 18. You know what Aww. I mean? And, like, that's who she has her children with in, like. kids? Yeah, she's, like, three boys. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I, I know very little about Megan Fox. Yeah, she's been with the same guy. Uh, since she was 18, and they got divorced, like, a few years ago, and so, like, this is her, like, next serious relationship, like, since that guy. Oh, good for her. Yeah. That's great. But she now has a name Brian tattooed to her, and that's unfortunate. Don't get names of men tattooed on your body. Especially Brian. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Especially 
Eugene. <laughs> what a not sexy name to have. It's Tyler. like it's like right here. <laughs> I still love her though. Yeah, so that's not that's not the point. The point is is I don't like the way media paints women to help sell whatever it is that they want. Yeah, it's I disgusting. don't I don't like it and it's gross and I fucking hate it. Yeah. Um I mean, and I I feel like Jennifer's body is the best work she's ever done. It's so good. Is it her best body work? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to Peg and um her just complete injustice. Ugh. So, legend has it, hikers and joggers have reported feeling the ghost of Peg, along with an overwhelming smell of gardenias, said to be her favorite perfume scent. Aww. In 1990, a young, couple hike, a young couple hiking in Griffith Park trails stopped dead in their tracks when a disoriented blonde woman dressed in 1930s clothing vanished before their eyes. Apparently, the couple was completely unaware of Entwistle's suicide, so they were like, that was weird. And uh, people, crazy. people to this day still will like call the police, uh, reporting that they saw someone jump off of the H. Oh my god! Or the Hollywood sign. They'll look, and there won't be a body there. Oh man! Which is that's something that also happens at the uh, Omni Hotel in um, New Orleans. Yes. Yes. With the parking deck. Yes. Yeah. That would be so spooky. Because it's like to to have seen that. Okay, like. Bro, because you know, usually people aren't alone when they see that they're with other people. Yeah. Like, if you all saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, since I have so much bullshit, I had a couple things I'm going to skip. I'll maybe save it for another time if you want to talk about movie sets. I think that's great because um, my story is longer than I thought it would be. So, so I have uh, another one. Yeah, we're going to save that for later, but I have one last thing I wanted to talk about that I just thought was so interesting, because when we talk about a haunting, this is a fucking haunting. <laughs> so, uh, there's a comedy club in LA called the Comedy Store. Oh, I've heard of the Comedy Store before. Yeah? I don't I don't know the it's story, a big but club. I've, I've heard it mentioned before. Yeah, so uh, it's the most popular rendezvous, uh, Ciro's. Um, which today is called the Comedy Store, opened in 1940, and it is just a world-famous comedy club. So many famous people have performed there. But before it was a comedy club, Ciro's was the place to be for, uh, the criminal underworld. Oh, cool. In the 40s and 60s, or 50s, not 60s, 40s and 50s. So, you know, mobsters, eh? <laughs> what do you know? So, uh, mobsters and gangsters of the worst kind use this club not only as a hangout, but also as a place to take care of the most brutal elements of their business. Ugh. Yeah, this is where they, uh... Is that like a dungeon? This is where you go sleep with the fishes without the fish. <laughs> <laughs> There's a basement. Oh my god, no! There's a basement. Oh, that's not good. The basement of Ciro's was known as the torture room. Oh, Anyone who was perceived to have committed a wrong against the mob was taken to the basement. To the torture room. And that is where their fate would be decided. And the lucky ones just had their kneecaps smashed or their thumbs broken, but most others were just never seen again. Um, um, besides being a death chamber for goons and dudes, the basement <laughs> Yeah, the basement was also utilized as an illegal abortion clinic. Because people pay for that shit, you know what I mean? It's a business. 
gangster dudes would uh, get girls knocked up and be like, well, I don't want her knocked up, so you need to make her not knocked up. If you're willing or not, you were sent there. That's terrifying. Mm -hmm. A woman who claimed to be a nurse performed the procedures down there. Due in part to the unsterile environment and questionable qualifications of the abortionist, many of the women uh, died. So, uh, just awful, awful time. Not a good time. But it's so funny. It's a comedy club. (laughs) It's a place to have fun and laugh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So, it became a hit comedy club in the 70s, 20 years later. Uh, uh, Starting up a lot of notable comedians' careers, including uh, Jim Carrey, Jerry Seinfeld, Roseanne Barr, Billy Crystal, Chevy Chase, and Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, my God. Uh, Crystal, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, honestly, like... That's huge. Yeah, it is. It, all those people are huge. Fuck. So one comedian who was banned from the club committed suicide as a result. Obviously, this was not a big known person. So, um, loved Ken leapt from the roof of the Continental Hyatt House, a hotel which was located next door to the comedy store. His intention had been to land on top of Mitzi's club, but he missed his mark. Instead, he ended up in the parking lot. The suicide note that he left simply read, My name is Steve Lubitkin. I used to work at the comedy club, or the comedy store. Uh, By 1980, Kinnison was a favorite at the comedy store, at least among the paying customers. Uh, For reasons no one could explain, the resident spirits had decided they fucking hated this guy. Um... (laughs) They just fucking hated this guy. And they would, uh, take great pains to derail his fucking show. This dude could not perform here. These ghosts were like, fuck this They're shit. Like, no, we don't like him. Get him mm-hmm. out of our club. We're like, out of here. Out of here. So for, for instance, the lights on the stage would flicker during his performance. Um, or the sound system would just go out so you can't hear him. Oh, bummer. Um, and, uh, one <laughs> night, as soon as he had stepped onto the stage, a swarm of angry voices be- began shouting at him and filling the room, and the voices were seething as they repeated the same exclamation over and over again. It's him. Ugh, it's him. <laughs> Ew. But like- nobody in the crowd was saying anything. So they didn't know where all these voices were coming from. Okay, but what a show that would be. Right? Like... If I was going to go right. to a comedy show, like, I would absolutely <laughs> want it to be haunted. The bitter crowd grew louder and louder as the comedian just attempted to get through his material. He just tried to perform. Tried his best. And everyone present that night could hear it, and no one could find the source of who it was, like, because the people working there were trying to, like, stop whoever it was and get them to yeah. shut up, and there was nobody to shut up. Um... So no one knows who the hecklers were that night. Haunted hecklers. Um, having his fill, it's he like he got going, wait, he wait. got mad and he he demanded. Kinnison demanded that they show themselves. Wait, wait, wait. It's like it's like ghosts are like boo, but instead they're like boo, they're like boo, boo, boo. yeah. Boo. <laughs> the ghost went. The ghost did in fact <laughs> they say boo. That night. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> it was in my brain. Oh, I didn't I even think of that. That's so good. You know you're bad when ghosts boo at you. Yes. 
Oh my god. So sorry I interrupted. It's okay. So he demanded, so he stopped his performance and he he can't there's so many lights. He can't really see what's happening. So he demanded that these people shut the fuck up and show themselves and they stand up. At that precise moment, every light in the showroom went out. And as a result, the entire theater was plunged into complete darkness. And uh, that was the last time he ever tried to perform there. So either the people working there pulled off an amazing prank because they hated this guy. Yeah. Or it's really fucking haunted and they hate this guy. And the ghosts hate this guy. I like the ghosts. From a comedy perspective, the ghosts are a much better version. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So late at night, though, you wouldn't catch employees caught dead there by themselves. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's some, there's some ghosts that rise above the rest and, uh, rule the place. One night, uh, on his way out the back door, comedian slash security guard Blake Clark heard banging on the piano in the belly room. The belly room? The belly room is a small venue on the second floor. I think it's supposed to be, like, laughing, like, belly. Uh, I think it's supposed to be some stupid laughing. Okay. It's a dumb name. I don't like it. It sounds dirty. <laughs> I would rethink that name. Personally. I would rename the the bowel room. No, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's the basement. The bowel room. I know, I'm here all week. So uh, some of the waitresses had already reported odd re- occurrences in the belly room, um, which again is a small venue on the second floor. Pranks, really, by the ghosts. The ghosts were jokesters. One of the young women would uh, open the room, light candles, arrange tables for an event, and leave. Five minutes later, she'd return, and all the candles would be out, and the lights would be off, and the door would and, and the door would be locked. When you're done in a comedy club, like I feel like you better be a prankster. Oh, you better be funny. You know, like like you have an audience every day. That you have to keep them entertained. Yeah, like literally, like, like, you like think being dead would stop them from being funny. No. Yeah, no. so I feel like as a guy was being tortured in the basement, a mobster was like, hey, no funny business. And he was like, oh. Oh, just you fucking Oh, wait. no funny business, you say. My and, business is the funniest. And uh, over my dead body, quite literally. <laughs> I'm going to turn this place into a comedy club. And they were like, oh, wow, that was really weird, last dying words. Which is like on point with the puns today. <laughs> When this particular waitress returned with the key, she'd find the door open, and everything was set again, and all the candles were lit again, like, within minutes. Like, within a time span that it was not possible for someone else to have done this. Yeah. Um, so, Blake Clark, hearing the piano playing, knowing some fiz- funny business might be going down, um, he, <laughs> yeah, he rushed upstairs when he heard that piano, I'll tell you what. Uh, thinking someone was locked in, and as soon as he unlocked the door, the noise stopped. Because he was the last person leaving. He flipped on the light, no one was in the room. He checked all corners, oh my locked God. up. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do it with an accent, I don't know why. I can't take you seriously. <laughs> I like, I can take you seriously, but like, it's just so funny. I like, stop listening to what you're actually saying. <laughs> to do I don't know why (laughs) thank you it's so distracting though (laughs) so as he turned to leave he heard it again 
Someone deliberately banging the keys of the piano. Just going, bam, 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 bam. So Clark heard the piano on numerous other occasions, just accepting there's going to be a fucking ghost inside who thinks it's hilarious to not know how to play the fucking piano. Um, another night, Blake made the final rounds in the large showroom, which had been Ciro's main room. Uh, he moved to lock up, but stopped in his tracks. And this would have scared the living shit out of me, because for me, it's all, it's all about subtle things. Subtle things is what fucking gets me. A chair on one end of the stage began to just slowly slide across to the other side of the stage. He just stood watching it. Not knowing what to do, he didn't move at all. In a flash, he found his feet and just fucking ran out of there. And on another night, he went to the rear of the empty stage to turn off a light. And seconds later, he turned around to find 40 chairs silently piled center stage 10 feet away from him. Mm. That... That's that sixth sense, all the cabinets are open moment. That was honestly, I don't, I don't know why. The scariest moment to me of Sixth Sense was the mom coming into the kitchen and all the cabinets being open. Like my thing is, no human could do that. Could do that alone or that quickly. That silently. That silently. Like that just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That ooh. I would have left so fucking fast. Yeah, no, so fucking fast. I would have quit my job. I've been like, no, I'm not closing alone anymore. Honestly, respect. I need to a this closing buddy for sticking around, Clark. Like he's he, awesome shit. You know, people trying to get in the show business will deal with some crazy shit, including yeah. some crazy ghosts. Yeah. So on one occasion, occasion. Occasion. <laughs> uh Clark and another comedian named uh, Joey Grainer. I don't know why I said that like that. Joey, Joey Grainer. Joey. Joey. Hey, Joey. Uh, and counted <laughs> something in the basement that they could not explain. Now, the basement was the big scary place. Upstairs is all laughs and jokes. The basement is where it's like, mm, don't go in the basement. Torture chamber. The torture chamber. Uh, they, <laughs> they both, together, they were together. They both witnessed a black form at least seven feet tall float across the floor. Terrified, two grown men just ran the fuck upstairs, straight out of the building, straight onto the street. Just out of the whole building. I mean, yeah. Out of the whole fucking building. I mean, yeah. And after regaining their wits, the men decided to return to the basement and, like, with lights and stuff to just see if there was actually, like, a person there or something. Yeah. They they were like, we gotta see if something was real. We both saw it. Yeah. Um... And upon descending the basement stairs, they saw the creature crouched in the corner. Yeah. Oh my god. It was there, in the corner. Still there. Um, When it sensed their presence, it just rose slowly and ran towards them. (laughs) Again, they ran for their lives, probably actually pissing themselves now, but not before noticing that the being had only a dark void where its face should have been. They realized neither of them, like, saw a face. There was nothing there. Just like a shape. Just like a shadow. Just a shape of a person. Wow. Mm-hmm. On another occasion, occasion. 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 <laughs> acting upon his... I can't say the word occasion. I don't know why. <laughs> On another instance, 
uh, acting upon his duties as security guard because Blake fucking Clark deserves man, some sort of fucking man. medal. He should be like an commitment. honorary member of Ghostbusters or something. The commitment. The dedication. Like, he was the security guard of this fucking place and he, he was going to be security with or without the ghosts. He was dead serious about it. <laughs> You're killing me. Am I? I'm killing you. Oh, you're killing me. Oh, my God. Okay, so, Blark Clake. Blark. (laughs) Blake Clark. Oh, my God, I'm actually crying now. Fuck me, I should not have done my eyeliner like this. Oh, my God, I'm starting to accidentally fall into the accent. This is not a cute look. (laughs) I can't accidentally become some, like, IRL Harley Quinn. It's not cute now that I'm blonde. (laughs) I gotta be careful with this shit. Um, Blake... Clark had to go into the basement to investigate a series of strange noises, and he knew. He knew what it could have been. He knew what it could have been. What a brave soul. They were so loud they could be heard upstairs, so they knew they could not ignore it any longer. It was three o'clock in the morning. Bad time for this trip. Go to sleep. When he cautiously made his way downstairs, just in case it actually was a person now. (sighs) When he reached his destination, Clark could hear a guttural growl emanating from somewhere in the shadows. Suddenly, he heard something strike the basement door so violently that the door bowed outward. To Clark, it looked as though something was pushing on the door with such force that it was actually bending the wood. He wasted no time in fleeing. (laughs) Yeah. And going just... Upstairs, just to the top level, just away from the basement. <laughs> this is not my job description. Um, Clark would return to the basement only one more time before he finally said, enough is a fucking enough. <laughs> this, I mean, this man. Everyone has limits. Everyone oh my god, I, I just meant this dude being like a skeptic, but like having a really hard time being a skeptic yeah. after. I feel like this ghost was like, oh, you're a skeptic. Oh, you're a skeptic. Oh. Oh, oh I have a funny joke for you. Challenge accepted. <laughs> You would never catch me in this building, okay? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Fuck the comedy store. I'm not going there. So, um, we're never performing there. No. <laughs> so, while checking out Mysterious Noises once again, Clark watched as a black piece of paper materialized from thin air, gently touching his hand as it floated to the floor. And he picked it up. He picked it up, he shouldn't have done it, he picked it up, and it said exactly one thing. His name. No, they knew him. So, uh, he got the message. The thing in the basement knew who he was. He had seen it. It had seen him. They had moments. Moments were not the best. And, um, he never set foot in the basement again. Never again. Honestly, good for him. Boundaries are important. Boundaries are important. And that ghost demon being thing was like... Was like... No respect for boundaries. I need you to get out of here. This is my space. This is my space where I can be alone with my thoughts. the spirit had boundaries. The spirit had boundaries. You know what? I didn't even consider that. I was thinking of Clark's boundaries. They both... They both... Clark developed boundaries over time. Yeah. But I think... I think... 
Clark, I mean, clearly the spirit was like, get the fuck out of here. And Clark yeah. kept coming up, and they're like, you're still fucking, it's still you. It's not even, it's not even someone new. It's, it's not even someone new. Like, go hang out with the joke ghosts upstairs. Joke this is ghosts. something different. I need my alone time. I've been through a lot of trauma. I'm grumpy. I don't want you here. I don't like you. So, um, yeah. He got his message. To be fair, he was a security guard. Maybe he looked like an old mobster or something. You know what maybe. I mean? Like, maybe he. they were just like, no, fuck this. The ghost was a little triggered. I think he so. Was. The ghost had some trauma. I mean, and honestly, I don't blame him. It. Them. It. Them. them. The entity. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like if, like, Spirits so many really people. crazy about their gender pronouns. <laughs> Well, sometimes I feel like it's more than one, like, in an entity, if that makes sense. Like, and this is, like, a totally made-up theory I just sort of threw together, but I just always feel like it's always areas where multiple people died in awful ways that has, like, the most hauntings, and sometimes I feel like all of that energy just accumulated into, like, a being, and it's, like, not just one solid person. That's actually really interesting and would make a lot of sense. Like, that's just a weird theory I have that I have no basis for. I did not read about it anywhere. I did not learn about it anywhere. I literally made it up. So. I like it. Thank you. But that's my. I would subscribe. Oh, thank you. Yeah, this is our ghost hunting channel. (laughs) I did in high school um, star in a, uh, a, a school made show called Ghost Hunter. <laughs> Not host gatherer. No, good one though. <laughs> I'm sure you haven't heard that one. Never, never. It was so bad. We went to my friend's house and we like went in her attic and we like had to figure out how to film in the dark and we didn't know what we were doing, so you could barely see anything. Oh, you didn't have like a night. And, like, yeah. No, we we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. And I'm just like walking around this tiny little attic going, Hello? Is anyone there? <laughs> Can anyone hear me? <laughs> Ghost hunter. If you're here, give me a sign. And I felt so, I was, like, so into it You're in the att- moment. You were attuned. And then when we were going back through to edit it, I was like, I hate this. <laughs> it was I so embarrassing. Aww. It was so dumb. And I was so proud of coming up with Ghost Hunter. Like, <laughs> thinking, that, like. We have to revive it. We I have to revive like, it. It was, like, the wittiest, like, most clever thing in the world. It is. It, it is. Isn't though? There's a show oh, called I'm Ghost a... Hunters. Like, no, you're ghost, but you're hunter. You're I hunter more. Ghost, I know. I guess. You're ghost hunter. We, we, can, we can bring it back. We you're can bring it back. the ghost. Maybe after years of investment in true crime and lots more episodes of the show A Haunting, maybe now I'm more prepared Yeah. to um, convene with the ghosts. With the spirits. I'll help you. I'll beat them up if they show up. I love that. Yeah, I'm the muscle. (laughs) I'll beat a ghost up. Fucking come at me, bro. I'll beat a ghost up. I've had so many dreams. I've had so many dreams where I'm in my fucking house and there's some fucking ghost and I have to, like, beat this ghost up and be like, fucking leave. The the fuck? Like, I know these dreams I'm, like, supposed to be scared and terrified and I'm just like, no, I'm sick of this shit. I'm sick of your shit. The fuck out of here. This is my house now. Get out of here. I don't yes. like this. I don't like this. Yes. Shit. No. Yes. I like that. I like that. 
I don't take any shit from ghosts. I don't take that shit. Uh-uh. Burn some sage, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here! My story is the Hollywood Ripper. Ooh. Yes, which I had never heard of. I've never heard of. Um, And it is a wild ride. I got all of my information from an article by Benjamin H. Smith, the world's most plain name ever. Benjamin, <laughs> Benjamin H. Smith. H. Smith on auction.com. Great article. I'm basically plagiarizing. Thanks, Benjamin. So great. Thank you. Benjamin, don't <laughs> hate us. It's a great article. You should... I mean, you can read it, but I'm just going to read it to send, you now, basically. <laughs> send him a fan letter. It's really good. Okay. Um, so, born in 1976, Michael Gargiulo? Pronouncenames.com. Gargiulo. <laughs> Gargiulo. Gargiulo. So, it is kind of like a yo. Gargiulo. Gargiulo. Gargiulio. Do we have the correct pronunciation of your name? I don't know. I, yes. Probably. Yeah, yes. More. You do. Mine's <laughs> very straightforward. No, no, no It's more. <laughs> Both of my names are words, so I would hope that people can pronounce it. Michael Gargiulo grew up in Glenview, Illinois, a quiet suburb of Chicago. Um, he was one of seven children, and he would later um, say that he suffered physical abuse from his father and siblings, um, but this has never been corroborated um, or proven, uh. so we're not sure about that. Around his neighborhood, um, Michael was known to be a bully and to have a quick temper. Um, a former friend of his named Scott Olson said, quote, to watch him in action was something else. This guy would go from normal to crazy in, like, a second. The switch would flip, and he would just become almost inhuman. End quote. Yeah. <laughs> Bro. Yes. So, he's out about bullying people, I guess. The Picaccio family, um, that's a family that lived around the corner from the Gargiulo home. <laughs> so, Doug... Picaccio. I like that one better. That one's fun. It sounds like Picaccia. Um, so where is this located? Right now we're in Illinois. Okay. Right now. Okay. Doug Picaccio was a friend of Michael's, and they both attended Glenbrook South High School with Doug's older sister, Trisha. On the night of Friday, August 13th, Trisha met up with friends for dinner and a scavenger hunt... For Friday the 13th. As you do. Getting a little festive. Yes. Um, to hang out before leaving for college in a few weeks. After she dropped her friends off, Trisha drove home around 1 a.m. Following morning, um, Trisha's father, Rick, um, goes to leave for work and finds his daughter, Trisha, dead on the front steps of their house. Oh, my God. She had been... Stabbed, this is really bad. She's been stabbed 12 times and her arm was broken. She was 18. So although DNA was found underneath her fingernails, their the forensic technology just wasn't there at the time. So they had the sample. They just couldn't really do anything with it. 
Also, they would have had to have his DNA on file in order to match it. And if he had never been arrested or anything, they what would they have to match it with? Right. Um, so because they so they don't have any real like forensic evidence to go off of. Michael was questioned in the case because two days earlier he had given Trisha a ride to a friend's house, um, but he accused another local teenager, and there was really no evidence, so he wasn't charged with anything. Later, a woman would claim that she was raped by Michael in 1995, um, so this would have been um, two years later. Did Um, Trisha's body sure signs of assault of sexual assault um i don't think so and if i did they didn't say it okay a woman later claimed that she was raped by michael in 1995 her identity has not been released was 17 17 at the time and said that she and michael had recently ended a relationship um and that during a social visit michael had handcuffed her removed her pants and sexually assaulted her um, in 2019, she would testify in court saying, quote, I was terrified. I didn't even want to move. I was petrified. So Michael had also been involved in various car thefts and been charged with battery. Um, so general troublemaker. So you may be wondering, what does this have to do with Hollywood? Well, I'll tell you. In 1998... Michael moved to Los Angeles, where one of his brothers had um, moved to. Michael was trained in boxing and martial arts, so he got a job as a bouncer at the Rainbow Bar and Grill on Sunset Boulevard. That sounds way too nice of a place for him. (laughs) Well, um, at the Rainbow Bar, Michael befriended two other bouncers, Tamir Leary and Anthony DiLorenzo, they claimed that one day in the year 2000, while driving around LA, Michael had admitted to killing someone. At the time, the two men didn't believe him because he was known to just, like, talk shit and exaggerate and lie all the time. And make shit You know, if some guy you'd known for, you know, a few years, like, said that, you know, like, you're... So I don't really blame him. When they would later testify, um, they said, quote, he's like, you guys ever kill anybody? And he's like, I have. He goes, yeah, I buried a bitch. I left the bitch on the steps for dead, which is very specific. But they would not have known that. They wouldn't have known what he was talking about. They, exactly. He wanted to brag. That's so disgusting. Ugh. Why do serial killers always do that? Yeah. Gross. Michael... Um, eventually was fired from his job as a bouncer because he punched a bar patron. Yeah, some anger management issues, bro. Maybe a little bit. Um, (laughs) So in the fall of 2000, Michael made friends with Ashley Ellerin, a 22-year-old fashion student who lived a few blocks away from him in Hollywood. Um, She was quite an accomplished social butterfly, if you will. Um, She had gone on dates with celebrities like Vin Diesel and Ashton Kutcher. What? They don't explain how that happened, but... Or did she just claim this? I mean, did Ashton Kutcher and Vin Diesel be like, yeah, I went on a date with her? Wow! Okay. She she was killing it, you know? Okay. Um, 
very pretty, very attention grabbing, but unfortunately she grabbed the attention of the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, Michael began stalking Ellerin, um, visiting her at odd hours and was sometimes seen sitting outside her apartment in his car in the middle of the night. Um, so really creepy stalker. So behavior. just straight up stalking. Yes. So on the night of February 21st, 2001, so a few months later, Ellerin had made plans with Ashton Kutcher to go to a Grammy Awards party. Like you do. As you do. Well, so he was running late. He didn't arrive at her house until almost 11 p.m. Ashton. Ashton. Um, <laughs> and when he knocked on the door, Ellerin didn't answer. Kutcher assumed that she was pissed at him for being late, which is fair. Um, so he left. Um, he would later testify that he saw red stains on the floor and assumed it was spilled red wine. Plot twist, it wasn't red wine. Ashton, you have a genius IQ. You can piece shit together. He was, like, down for a fun night at a Grammy Awards, you know? He wasn't He was down for a murder. He wasn't trying (laughs) to get into the drama of what's happening. Yeah. And if it's, like, dark and you're, like, looking into someone's window, like... You know, you're in a rush. I don't really blame him. This is also upsetting. Um, the following morning, one of Ellerin's roommates returned home and found Ashley outside her bedroom in a huge pool of blood. Um, it was determined she had been stabbed 47 times. Is there even a body after that? Some of the wounds were up to six inches deep, with one blow having almost completely severed her head. So a truly savage, savage murder. murder. Detectives with the Los Angeles Police Department began looking for a man who her friends had referred to as Mike the Furnace Man. Michael had been employed after being fired from the Rainbow Bar as a heating and air conditioning technician in the area. He works on furnaces. Yeah, um... The article got vague here and was like, and then the detectives found a name and a driver's license photo, but that wasn't, like, enough for me, so I like to imagine they're, like, hitting streets and chasing down leads and hitting up Ashley Kutcher. (laughs) But, do you know Mike the First Man? (laughs) And he's like, I don't know, I gotta get on set and, uh, record that 70s show. Yeah, I don't know, I'm just trying to wear bell bottoms, man. Um, so... Uh, they get the, they get his name, um, and a driver's license photo. And I mean, Mike the Furnace guy, he's a heating and air technician in the, known to work in the area named Michael. Pretty obvious. So while all of this is going on, back in Glenview, Illinois, um, cold case detectives had been re-examining the Trisha Picaccio case, and technology had kind of caught up to their evidence, and they found a match for the DNA taken from underneath Trisha's fingernails. Um, it was a match for Michael. Shocking but, nobody! Yes. However, um, the county refused to press charges because it was possible that the DNA had been left from, like, casual, like, nonviolent contact. Like, if they had, like, hugged or shaken hands or something... Because okay. it wasn't necessarily, like, blood or semen. It was or just... skin. Yeah, it was just under her fingernails. So there wasn't 
proof that it was uh, that it was a, that it was from a, a self-defense. Yeah. However, um, the Glenview detectives had reached out to the L.A. detectives for information on Michael, since that is where he lived at the time. So, at the very least, the connection had been established. So, that was a step in the right direction. So, back in L.A., charges were not pressed in the Ashley Ellerin case because no forensic evidence had been gathered that tied Michael to the scene. There's a reason for this. Um, One of Michael's former girlfriends would later allege that in 2003, um, he punched her in the face and threatened to kill her, claiming he would get away with it because of his, quote, extensive knowledge of forensics. Oh my god, so he knew what they were going to be looking for and went out of his way to not leave that evidence. Yes, he went... To great lengths, so... I mean, he probably got paranoid after the first murder to see, like, what could they get on him. It's possible he was doing it from the beginning. Oh, uh, my God. So, yeah, po- yeah, you're right. I didn't... Fuck yeah. Me, dude. I just... <laughs> yeah, so, um, the two had met when she hired him to fix her air conditioning unit. Um... Was he, like, hot or something? Like, why are these girls talking to him? He... Not bad looking. Okay. Not... Not bad looking. I mean... Not like movie star... Not like Ashton Kutcher looks, but like, not disgusting. Um, as what I know of him makes it hard for me to be like, he's fine looking. Yeah, I know, I understand. But like, objectively, not bad looking. Okay, I'll have to see a photo Um, and decide for myself. From my memory. I like specifically made sure not to like look at too many pictures of him because it just like made me so angry. I see that. Um, I understand. I I understand. I understand. (laughs) The two had met when she hired him to fix her air conditioning unit, and she said that he wore blue surgical shoe covers while working, um, and that he had begged her to go on a date with him. She later would file a restraining order against him for stalking. So at this point, no charges have been filed against him, um, really at all. Um, He's suspected, but they just can't tie anything to him. Um, so by 2005, um, Michael was living with, um, his next girlfriend in El Monte, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Um, across the courtyard of their apartment complex lived Maria Bruno, a 32-year-old mother of four. This is, this is very upsetting and graphic, so just... Buckle in. All right, yeah. got it. So, 10 days after Bruno had moved into the complex, so Michael and his girlfriend were already living there. Bruno's the mother. Bruno's the mother. She moves in. 10 days after that, in the early morning hours of December 1st, um, Michael snuck into her home through the kitchen window and murdered her. I don't think her kids were there. He just did it? He had no reason? He didn't even know her. When she was found the following morning her throat was slashed along with numerous other stab wounds and her breasts had been removed and one of them was placed over her mouth yeah like this guy is a literal fucking monster oh my god yeah literal monster oh my fucking god yeah okay yeah okay that reminds me of a very terrible independent film I saw called Misogyny 
that I think I joked about with you one time before. Seems aptly titled. Yeah, at one point he does, he removes uh, the girl's, like, nipples, boobs, something like that, but, uh, it was a really, really bad movie. It was independently made, very much like a dude and his camera and a dream. Oh. And it was, it was about a serial killer who kills women because he's misogynistic, but his defense is that his mom was bad. His mom was a shitty person, therefore, <laughs> and, and then his, his first wife, girlfriend, he was so nice to her and she still left him, so therefore he gets to kill Ugh. People's trauma is not an excuse for their actions. It's filmed in a way where you're supposed to feel bad for him, but you don't because it's so bad. Oh. Or whatever. And I just remember, like, after watching it, I was, like, I asked the director, I asked the the writer and director, because, like, one guy did so much of it, and it took him forever to make it, because it's just one dude. And at one point, in the, you know, Q&A, because it's at a film fest, I was, like, so what was your inspiration for the film? <laughs> and this man, I shit you not, says, life experiences. <laughs> what? Yes. I was like, I have to leave now. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was like, okay, bye. Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me? You don't what? just like cut off a woman's nipple like, in a movie and be like, a life experience is inspired me to make this film. Uh, okay, sorry, continue. That's what that reminds me of? Continue. Um, the only clue found at the crime scene was a blue surgical shoe slipper. He left it behind. Which contained a drop of um, Maria Bruno's blood um, that was discovered outside her apartment. Um, so he left some evidence. After that... Michael um, began dating another woman, and the couple lived together in Santa Monica. Um, across the alley from their second-story apartment lived Michelle Murphy, um, a 27-year-old. It was later determined that Michael had a direct line of sight into her bedroom from across Ew! the alley. <laughs> yeah. This guy, this guy is fucking nasty. Um, Ugh. But... Murphy awoke in her bed on the night of April 28, 2008, as a man in a hoodie and a baseball hat repeatedly stabbed her in the chest. Despite being only five foot one, she was able to fight him off. After already being stabbed. Yeah. Five foot one. And she's, this is the girl whose window he could see directly into? Yeah. Oh my god. On his way out the door, her assailant said, I'm sorry. The fuck? I know. Weird. During the fight, though, um... Wait, so he he ran away? He left? Yeah, he she fought him off enough that he left. Wow. I know. At some point, Beth they do just panic. Ass. At some point, they do just panic. Well, he panicked because during the fight, he had cut himself as they struggled over the knife he had. And he knew his DNA was going to be there. Yep. Detectives ran, uh, with the Santa Monica Police Department, ran the DNA through the national database, um, and it matched Michael's, uh, DNA sample from the Boccaccio case, because they had that on yes. record now. Yes, so yes, even yes. though he wasn't, hadn't been charged with the Boccaccio case, the fact that they had, he, his DNA. they had his DNA in the database because he was a suspect allowed them to connect it here, so at least that much happened. Finally... 
Michael was arrested in June 2008 on an attempted murder charge and held on $1.1 million bail. A search of his car produced a bag of tools and blue surgical shoe slippers. And they also searched his old apartment in El Monte, um, which led to the discovery of the matching booty used in Maria Bruno's murder. Okay. So, like, they found, I don't know, the right foot, and they found the left foot match to that. Man. And his Thank apartment. God they caught him before he started getting experimental. Yeah. No, he, w- he absolutely would have kept going. Um, so, after that... Um, he was then charged with the murders of Ellerin and Bruno in September 2008. So he was charged for attempted murder and two murders. Um, he also faced the special circumstance allegation of lying in wait for his victims. So just, it helps the attorneys, like, get worse sentencing for him. Because it's, like, so premeditated. Yeah. You're literally sitting there waiting to do it. Yeah. So, it would, unfortunately, be another three years before prosecutors in Illinois felt that they had enough to indict Michael um, for Trisha Picaccio's murder, but eventually, in July 2011... At that point, does it matter? Like, he's killed three women. Yeah. Like, just fucking convict him for it. Like, who the fuck else is it? I know. But in July 2011, he was finally charged with... Um, her 1993 murder. Good. Yes. Um, so in 2019, um, his California trial, so he has a trial for the California murders and a trial for the Illinois murder. Yeah. Um, so it starts with the California trial in May 2019, so very recently, uh, with prosecutors labeling him as, quote, a serial sexual thrill killer, um, which I feel like is very spot on. Yeah. Um, among the hundreds of witnesses called was Ashton Kutcher, who recounted his ill-fated date with Ellerin in 2001. God, that's just... Ah, oh, man. Yeah. After um, delays due to coronavirus and just general bureaucracy, finally, um, Michael, um, who was now 45 years old, was found guilty of the charges by a California jury in August 2019. He was sentenced to death by a judge on July 16th, 2021, so literally a few months ago. Oh my god, like almost six months ago. Yep, for crimes the judge referred to as, quote, vicious and frightening. Michael will now be extradited to Illinois for the trial of the murder of Trisha, of Trisha Picaccio. Oh my god. So, we don't have results on that yet. But he's sentenced um, to death. Hasn't, Fuck this guy. It hasn't started, but it's something that will be interesting to keep an eye on. So, my thing I kind of wonder is, like, if you're sentenced to death, you're on death row, why does it take so long for them to kill you? So, I think I think you get three appeals before you... Okay. Think, which is already a long process because okay. you have to do all the paperwork and everything. You can also, like, petition, like, a governor to commute your sentence. Like, there's... Yeah. I there's mean, we, all sorts of, like... It's supposed to take a long time because people get wrongfully convicted. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, what gives me hope is that forensics have come so far. Yeah. And just, like, public knowledge of the legal system and more 
public involvement in calling for justice. Alright, well, <laughs> thank you for listening. This has been Haunted Hollywood with a couple sidebar stuff. Just a few. Just a few. <laughs> but uh, thanks again, and you can follow on all the social media. More importantly, you can listen on Spotify and iTunes. If subscribe. You l- if you listen on iTunes, please rate, subscribe, comment, whatever you like. Um, it'll help us out a lot. We also have a Patreon. And, Tell us how to um, pronounce yeah. Gargiulo. Gargiulo. Gar- Gargiulo. Help us. Help. <laughs> Please let help. us know if you know how to pronounce that correctly. And what language Let me know. Yeah. Let me know. Bye. Keep it creepy. Bye. Intro music by Richie Gaser from The Phantom Friends. They're pretty good. Give them a listen.